0: So Ruth chapter one, beginning in verse 17, Victor did such a great job, and I don't know why I just spaced and uh, senior moment, I guess. Where you die, this is Ruth continuing, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them and the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And continuing in chapter two, verse one, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to that part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it is life changing, Lord. Lord, your word is living and active and it's sharper than a double edged sword, Lord, and it pierces to the soul Lord. separating, Lord, the things of the, of the, of the body of the mind and, it, and, and the things of the spirit, Lord. Lord, we don't want today to have our head just filled with knowledge, Lord. We don't want to we don't want to have more information, Lord. We have enough information bombarding us constantly. Lord, what we need is your truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, your word is is spiritual, Lord. And so we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate and to enlighten it to our light. Lord, that we might take hold of these truths, Lord, and apply those things that you would have us to apply. So, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and hands and feet that are quick to respond. We thank you, Lord, for this time. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and how we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah, for the songs. I can tell that you either read my notes or you, the Holy Spirit was speaking to you the same things because so many of those songs resonate with this chapter. We weren't able to get through um, the whole chapter last week. I had a very long introduction. I'm going to just short give a brief uh, setting for that next week. We won't dispense with that at all, but uh, I think it's helpful in the context to know uh, about the book. It's written by Samuel, most most people believe. But the historical setting is what's interesting and what sets this book apart. Because it tells us in, the, in chapter 1, verse 1, that it was in the days when the judges ruled. And we noted, you know, that was roughly a 370-year period where there was general anarchy. Israel did, each one did whatever was right in his own eyes because there was no king in the land. We're told that three times in the book. Um, and we noted also that it, it's very similar to the time we live in now each one seems to be doing what is right in their own eyes the spiritual victories that you know and the physical victories that Joshua had had brought were now in the past and the nation was in a spiritual decline we also noted there was a pattern during that time as well where the israelites would would begin to sin, breaking God's law, worshiping the gods of the Canaanite, bringing upon themselves the judgment of God, who had told them that if he, if they followed after him, that he would, he would provide for them. He, he would keep them secure, but God needed to bring correction. And so he would send, he would send an enemy to fight them, bringing them into bondage to a foreign power, foreign king, most, most cases, and then the Israelites, after a while stewing in that, they finally get to that point where they're ready to cry out to God and say, Enough, Lord, help us, we repent. And they would come back to the Lord, and the Lord would send a deliverer, a judge who would subdue the enemy, and that peace would prevail for a season. But it says, once that judge, once that leader died, then the people very quickly went back into sin and rebellion. And they had this endless cycle. In contrast to the book of Judges, we have the story of Ruth. And Ruth is pictured right there, placed, I believe, by the Holy Spirit right between Judges, which is this whole time of of Israel going back and forth and the kingdom age when we have Solomon and we, excuse me, we have, we have Samuel writing about the rise of David, the establishment of the kingdom, the monarchy. And you see this, this picture. And it's, it's not unlike what God is doing for us. We live in the kingdom age. It's the time of the Gentiles when God is dealing with, with the world. Israel has effectively rejected the Messiah on that day when he came in. They sent him to be crucified And they rejected him. But yet God had a remnant through the disciples, through the apostles, through those believers. And on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 were added to the number. They came and they spread the gospel. And God began to work through the Gentiles. We are nearing that time now when the age of the Gentiles is coming to a close and we're seeing more and more things happening in the nation Israel. We're seeing God begin to work there in a mighty way. We can look back to even to, to the first part of the 20th century when God began to bring Israelites back into their land. And at one point the church is going to be lifted up out of the world. We're going to be taken into heaven and God will, will continue to work. And he's going to set up his monarchy. But it's not going to be David. It's going to be one like David, but it's going to be one far greater. It's going to be the son of man, the son of God, Jesus himself, setting up his kingdom, his throne in Jerusalem. And all the nations will come and worship him. So it's a fitting place because Ruth deals with a Moabitess, a Gentile coming in to the fellowship of believers, so to speak, and becoming in the lineage of Jesus himself, and of course, David. We noted that the literary style is pretty much through conversations. That's how everything moves about through here. Maybe from Naomi's point of view. And again, several themes. It shows King David's right to the throne of Israel. More importantly for us, perhaps, is that it illustrates God's providential and protective care over his people. So often it is during the worst of times that God reveals his love for us. It's those times where we are fearful and we lack wisdom, and that we, we are seemingly Groping in the dark for answers that God will comfort us and he will come close and he becomes more real to us than ever before. And the third thing that we will see in the coming week, um, the next week and in, in, in the, the last chapter, Boaz as a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acting in grace, he redeems Ruth just as in Christ just as Christ acted in grace to provide redemption for us all. So again, a, a brief summary. We're going we're to walk through this in, in chapter 8, but I want to give a, a brief summary of, of where we've been. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, sick and tired, or Malon and Chilian, that's what their names kind of are translated as. They go into the country of Moab to find bread and escape trouble. And we noted a famine in the land meant that uh, Israel as a nation was not being obedient to the Lord because God had promised if they were to be obedient, that God would provide everything they needed. And so there were circumstances, situations that were going on to where God was not providing. And rather than trust the Lord to provide, they left Judah for the enemy's country. Things got worse for them there instead of better. And Naomi's troubles began to pile up. Warren Wiersbe added this comment, it's better to be hungry in the will of God than to have a full stomach and be out of his will. And I can say amen to that from personal experience. And I hope you can as well. It's better to be as as the Psalm 84, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. To have everything that I want in the world and yet not have Christ is to lose everything." So then Elimelech dies, his sons die. Um, Oh, prior to that, I should say, they, they planned to stay in Moab just for a short time, but their sojourn took 10 years. And during that time, their sons married Moabite women, which was against the law. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and 23 talk about the command of God not to intermarry among pagan nations and expressly instructed them not to mix with the Moabites. So they had strayed and it's interesting how so often we make one compromise here, it leads to another, to another. And so finally, Naomi is left alone. Elimelech dies, her sons die. And sorrow upon sorrow of her heart and it's just her and her daughter-in-laws that are left through all her suffering though Naomi was loyal to, the God, to God she held on to him even though she became afflicted in her heart because God was allowing these things to happen to her she didn't understand but she was loyal and we noted that when the heart is at its deepest it's still true to God Grace will find an opportunity to work through whatever condition, whatever situation, even if our faith is weak. You remember Paul made this statement in 1 in Timothy. If we are faithful, he will be faithful. But if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And we have that confident assurance that if you're in Christ, That even at those moments where you lack the faith, when you falter, God will still be faithful and he is the one that can take and make beauty from ashes. He can take the the dregs of life, so to speak, and he can turn them into that choice wine. He can take that water, as Jesus did, as, as that illustration for us at the wedding of Canaan, take those water pots, when they had no wine and he was able to transform them into the best wine, God can do that. Now it's best for us to not test God on those things and to stay in the will. And we talked about that, stay under the spout where the blessings of God come out. We wanna stay in it. So Naomi, where our text, She she turns her face again to her own country. She hears word, the famine is over and so, She urges her daughter-in-laws to, you know, go back. Don't don't come with me. I'm going to go back to Israel. You stay here. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 8 just to give us a context as we roll through. Uh, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Orpah and Ruth had family ties in Moab. This was the nation they had come out with. They had been people that worshiped the the foreign gods that were in that land. They had been uh, part of, they knew the traditions, they knew the culture, they knew everything about that. To go to Israel was to leave everything and to take on a whole different culture, a whole different religion, and to rather than be accepted to be potentially an outsider and an outcast, despised by, by your neighbors. It wasn't a promising thing that they would have to look forward, forward to. And so, so Naomi's kind of saying, look, you guys should stay here. And the Lord bless you, deal kindly. You dealt kind with me, you've dealt kind with my husband and, and my sons May the Lord repay you for that. And so she blesses them. And then she kisses them. And they they all have this this time of of just weeping together. And we know that this was a special relationship that Naomi had with her daughter-in-laws. They were intensely connected in their hearts to one another. So it had to be very difficult for Naomi to say, go back, you stay. And they said to her in verse 10, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that I may be your hus- they, they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So Naomi sees that the fruit of them going in to Moab, of leaving the promised land, has brought the hand of God against her and her family, and she ties that together. And she won't subject her daughter-in-laws to an uncertain life. She knows they have nothing to gain in going with her. We noted that when she makes that reference, are there still sons in my womb? The references to the custom of the Leverite marriage where the brother of a man who died childless, married the widow uh, of his, uh, you know, of his brother to raise up an heir for the deceased. And you can, you can look about that in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And Naomi's saying, look, that she has no other sons to give. She's an old woman. There's, There's not going to be an opportunity there. She's grieved in her heart and her mind. She feels the weight of all that has come upon her and her family and she's going back now to the land of Israel and going back to her God. And we noted this despite feeling that the hand of Lord was against her. She didn't grow bitter against God. She returned to him in repentance, knowing that the answer, when we feel that we're separated from God, the answer is going to him, drawing closer to him, not going farther away. And we took a, a few minutes to note the difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation of the enemy. If you feel, if you're here today and you feel like, man, I've blown it, I'm out of the, I just feel the, the afflicted hand of the Lord against me, the answer is to run to him, to seek him, not to run away. It's the enemy, the condemnation that the enemy would say and bring to us to say, you're not worthy, you failed, go away. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. I remember going through, I'll tell you the Psalm, it's Psalm 31. And I remember a time when I felt I had just totally blown it. I was a young pastor, I was just fresh up there, we were, we were in Washington state, and uh, there were some, some things, some situations, some conversations, some counseling that just went bad, and just just several things, and I just felt, lord i 'm done i 'm not doing anything good for you." And, and I just felt the condemnation of the enemy. And I was just you know, I was just gone. I, I was thinking, okay, started to think you know about, well. Let's see, we need to get another pastor up here, you know, and start to go through those mental steps, you know, but praise God that we had established a long time ago, a time of devotion. Now we weren't yet doing husband and wife devotions like we do now because Teresa was very busy with four little kids. But I went over to my office and I had my, my daily devotion plan and, and I started reading it and it was the first of the month. I remember that because I would read Psalm one, Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121. I had that and you hit five Psalms. You get one from each of the book. So every day of the month, it's a good thing if you don't have a way to have a de- personal devotions. So on the second day, Psalm two, Psalm 32. So I get to Psalm 31 one and David, He's crying out. He's talking about the things that are going. And he says, I said in my haste that the Lord has cut me off from my eyes. Nevertheless, your your grace was upon me. Your hand was upon me. And I just broke down and cried. And I recognized God was doing a work in me that was far greater than these circumstances. And he was saying, look, I know these situations were bad, but I'm in it, trust me, hang close. And if, if you hear nothing else today, remember that. God is doing a work in your life. We sang so many songs that, that, uh, that picture that today. When we're going through stuff, it's when we fight our battles, it's one on our knees. Even though things look bad, don't allow the condemnation of the enemy to rob you. Wednesday night teaser, Pastor John Lucas is going to be teaching Romans 8.38, 8.28, excuse me. Thank you. (laughs) I heard it before I, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's going to be teaching that chapter and emphasizing to us. that So if you're not going to Union Gospel Mission, come out on Wednesday night and, and you will be encouraged. So the lessons to learn up to this point, Naomi didn't accuse God of doing something wrong against her. She acknowledged his total control over the, all the circumstances. And it was actually an expression of trust in her to go back. She didn't become bitter, but she trusted in the sovereignty of God despite her personal calaminations, calamities, excuse me. I made a new word, Pastor Bob. Calaminations. What Naomi could not see is that the hand of the Lord would go out for her shortly. And we'll see in this book that God is going to turn everything around. So, verse 14, we're going to pick it up here. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Both Orpah and Ruth felt deeply and both loved Naomi. Both were anxious about the future, but a choice had to be made. And Orpah chooses to go back to her gods, to her old life, rather than clinging to Naomi and going forward. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, but, uh, you know, there's always that crossroads that we have. For me, that crossroads that I mentioned was in Psalm 31 when the Lord gave me that, that wonderful little nugget that I never forget. And I had a choice to make. We had a choice to make when the gospel was presented to us. Are we going to follow the Lord Jesus? Which might mean being ostracized from our friends. It might mean being persecuted. It might mean, as it did and does for so many in this world, death. We have a choice to make every day. So Orpa, she kissed her mother-in-law and went back to her gods, went back to her people. We don't know whatever happens to Orpah. It's funny, you know, I'm reading through different commentaries and different things and men have concocted some of the strangest traditions and you know to make up for things they don't know. And uh, so many, I think they're, they have to come up with a dissertation or something in seminary and they come up, well, maybe this, I, I don't know. Because Jewish tradition, the rabbis say this request of Naomi came four miles outside of Moab, that they had left four miles and that she walked four miles and that Orpah shed only four tears How they know that it was four tears, and not three or five, at the thought of parting from her mother-in-law. And that, and some of the rabbis go on to say that she did go back to Moab, she got married, and then she had four sons, Goliath and his three brothers. There's some strange things. I'm reading this commentary uh, by a Messianic Jew, and, and he doesn't believe these things, but he, he will bring out some of these things. And it's just amazing, some of the things that the, the rabbis would teach. No wonder Jesus, when he he had so much trouble with them, not seeing the clear word of God. Verse 16, but Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. What a, what a wonderful passage. This this statement by Ruth has been lifted up for centuries. There have been countless songs written with this. There have been literary scholars that don't even know, they're not even Christian, they're not even believers, but they have lifted up this proclamation, this statement by her on a high standard of, of what a beautiful picture of devotion. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Ruth puts an end to the debate. She said that, and it's a classic expression of faithfulness. She declares her undying devotion to Naomi and refuses to leave her now or at any time. She doesn't know what's going to come. You know, think about that. She doesn't know what is going to come. She doesn't know what to expect, but she knows enough of the word to know that Moabites aren't necessarily welcomed into the people of Israel. Your people shall be my people. She declares her decision to abandon her own country, her own people, She's going to be cut off from her own people because they not, would not be too happy about this. You're going over to Israel. They're the enemy. They're the invaders. Even though there was a relationship there. But she's going to make Naomi's people her own. And her decision has religious implications of what she's not even aware of. Your God, she says, my God. Ruth was willing to forsake the Moabite God she grew up with to embrace the God of Israel. Here's the point. And Jesse, you did a great song last week. I just didn't get to this passage, you know. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, No turning back, no turning back. Ruth is making that declaration, not for Jesus because he wasn't born yet, but for the God, the creator of the universe, turning her back on the gods that she knew and grew up with, on her people, to follow after the God of Israel. Your God will be my God. To embrace the God of Israel. She's deciding to follow the Lord through the loving witness of Naomi. Naomi didn't have an easy life. All that, all that Ruth saw of, of Naomi was her devotion to God and sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. They had to flee or she felt they had to flee because there was no food the famine. And so they get there and then yet things go from bad to worse. Losing her husband. Yes, she, she married her sons, but then they died. And just sorrow upon sorrow. But through it all, she witnessed Naomi clinging to the Lord. Naomi still honored it. Ten years of Naomi's compromise in Moab never made Ruth confess her allegiance to the God of Israel, though. They were there 10 years in the land. But yet, as soon as Naomi stood up and said, I'm going back to the God of Israel. I'm going back to the nation. I'm going to put my fate in his hands rather than stay here. It reminds me of the prodigal son that has left his father's house to go seek his way. He's taken his fortune and he squandered it on prodigal living and he finds himself and he's there in the field. He's, He's there because the money's gone and he's there and he's feeding pig slop to pigs. And he comes to his senses, it says, and he thinks servants in my father's house are better off than I am. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you and against God. Make me a servant in your house. And we know from that account that Jesus tells us that the father seeing him afar off, recognizing his son runs to him. Naomi doesn't know if the father is going to run to him. She doesn't know what Is there, but she knows it's better to be in the house of God than it is to be where she has, separated from Him. Ruth stands with her, and if you think you're gonna persuade your friends or relatives to Jesus by your compromise, this is the lesson we can learn from Ruth. You're mistaken. You might be sincere, but you're mistaken. Because it's only that bold stand for Jesus that's going to do. It was only that bold stand that Naomi finally said, I'm going back to God. That brought about the change in Naomi. Spurgeon said this, you will never win any soul to the right by a compromise with the wrong. It's a decision for Christ and his truth that has the greatest power in the family and the greatest power in the world too. People should be able to look to you and I and our lives, just as Ruth looked at Naomi's and say, I don't know what you have. I don't know how you can go through all that you're going through right now and you're not shattered and you still cling to God. I don't know what that is. I wanna know this God. Our trust in God and turning towards him in tough times will often be the thing that draws others to the Lord. The Lord do so to me, she says, and more also, if anything but death departs you and me. There's a clear indication here. Now Ruth is trusting in the Lord. The Lord do so to me. Ruth had little knowledge of the true God. Only that which she saw from Naomi. And perhaps Naomi took time with her daughter-in-laws to share. And they, maybe they read the scriptures. But she knew that God was a God of fairness and justice. And so he could be called upon to hold her accountable to the promise. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. Morgan." in his uh, commentary he says Ruth had faith and the beautiful words she expressed to Naomi, Naomi were the expression of that faith not alone did the poor Moabitess woman say thy people shall be my people but also thy God my God it was grace which had drawn her she clung closely to Naomi becoming one with her in all her misery yet with a faith and a confidence in Naomi's God which at this point, Naomi doesn't even have. Naomi's saying, go back. You don't even know what's happening. Naomi was saying, no, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to trust that God is going to take care of us. It's amazing. And verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. That's enough. The word determined indicates an unshakable firmness. Naomi says, okay, she's resolved. Okay. Verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she says to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? You can see the sorrow of her heart. Two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. We don't know the journey. We don't, it's not described for us. But if you remember, to get there, they had to go back, crossing over the Jordan, through, through, the, through the wilderness, go through the, through the, the desert area of Judah, come through the mountains, and then come down into Bethlehem. It wasn't an easy trip. And the two of them, though this time, unlike when Elimelech and Naomi left with their sons, where they brought things, they had nothing to come back to. Then they receive this warm welcome. Bethlehem was just a large village. It's, it's like a small town where everyone knows everyone, many people had remembered Naomi. I don't know if you've ever lived in a small town or you've, you've, you have that experience. So we did when we were up in Washington and it was one of those things and we, we laugh all the time because we'd go into the local market and they had a little, little coffee stand and they'd yell out, oh, hey, Teresa, do you want that mocha today? You know, it was that, that familiarity. There was the good time, but there was also the bad because everybody knew your business. So this is what Bethlehem was like. And the people would come and they were all excited, Naomi's back, Naomi's back. And she's just saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Naomi means pleasant. I'm not pleasant, I'm bitter. Naomi used to tell the people that her time away had been pleasant, uh, that her time away had not been pleasant. She's saying, no, it's bitter. She wasn't going home and pretend everything was fine and be pleasant. She's going to be honest and say, here I am, and my life has been bitter. You know, that's so important. That is so important that, that you know, she wasn't a phony. She didn't pretend, oh, yeah, everything's good. You know, like we do when we come to church in the morning. Hey, how's it going? Oh, everything's great. You know, everything's fine. You know, and maybe it's not fine. Maybe we need to be a little more real with one another and we have the time on Sunday mornings to get, maybe get with another person and say, look, you know, it, I don't know what's going on, but I need you to know I need prayer right now. I've had a rough week or I've had a bad thing happen this week and I, and I just need somebody to, to pray with me. You know? I like how she was not a phony. She says, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. She left Bethlehem having a husband and two sons, came back having lost all three by death. Adam Clark says, it's likely that Elimelech took considerable possessions with him into the land of Moab, for as he fled from the face of the famine, he would naturally take his things, his possessions with him. And on this, Naomi probably subsisted During that time, she probably slowly sold things off, used the things that they had, and now she's coming back empty-handed. But she was not afraid to see the hand of God in all her calamity. But in the midst of those things, she was bitter about the circumstances, but she wasn't bitter about the Lord. She recognized that his hand was upon her, but she went to him. She knows that even though things have been terrible, Again, the answer is in drawing closer to him, not going farther from him. And so verse 22, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The word for return here means more than just a physical connotation of they went and they've come back. It indicates a deeper, Thing, a return to God and a return to the God of the land, the land that was the promised land. She felt the Almighty had afflicted her, but in the coming chapter, she's going to see how much God Almighty is going to bless her. And it would have been easy for Naomi to focus on what she had lost. She had lost a husband. She would lost two sons. She would lost a daughter-in-law. She lost all kinds of material possessions and all that was left was one daughter-in-law Ruth. But through that one thing that God left her, God was going to bring unbelievable blessings to her life. And at this point, all the good that happens in the future chapter, chapters begin, it's right here. With Naomi's repentance, coming back to God with her honesty, not, not holding up and saying everything's fine, but, but realizing and recognizing, Lord, I have nothing. But you are my God. And this land is the land that you brought us to. You said this is our land. It will make a difference, not only in her life. It's going to make a difference for, for Ruth. And it's gonna make a difference in the destiny of Israel because from Ruth will come David, Israel's future king. And from David is gonna come Jesus. Naomi had left Bethlehem because of a food famine and the barley harvest must have been a welcome sight. They came back, the food is Things that she had heard, the things the Lord used to draw her back were true. The second thing that we need to note here, that Ruth made a real decision for God. In her determined decision, Ruth effectively says, I accept the poverty. I accept being an outcast. I accept the fact that I may remain a widow for the rest of my life. I accept that I am going to be responsible for my mother in law. She was willing to accept all that in order to take a stand for God. And she demonstrates her faith filled decision by going forward to Bethlehem with Naomi. And Naomi demonstrates her repentance by going back to Israel, to Bethlehem. You see? It all leads to Jesus for us. Because if you found yourself at a place where, like Naomi, you are struggling and you recognize, I'm out of the will of God. I have allowed these other things to come there and to separate me from a relationship. The way is always just to go back to him. And if you're here, and, I, and I'm looking around, and I think I know pretty much everybody here. Um, uh, but there may be somebody listening on the radio, a radio, oh, boy, is it live or Memorex? Yeah. Yeah, I made that reference on Wednesday, Wednesday night, and uh, people are like, what? what? What do you mean by that? I said, Never mind, it's an old reference from the 70s, okay. But you may be, may be watching this, you may be watching it on YouTube, live or Facebook or whatever, and you want to know more about this, God. The way is to go to him, come to him, come to Jesus. He will answer those things. He will, he, will, he will, through his word, will provide all that you need for life and godliness. So Naomi demonstrates her repentance by going back. Ruth demonstrates her, her faith-filled decision by going forward. Naomi thought she was returning empty handed, but she had Ruth with her and the harvest was ripe. So there was hope. And in chapter two, we're gonna see that God uses Ruth to change her mother-in-law's attitudes towards life, towards God. And we're just gonna get our feet wet this week and next week we'll dive right into it. But we're going to see here in chapter two Ruth moved from one that has had expressed sorrow to one that now moves to a place where she's in her new relationship with God, she begins to serve him by serving her mother in law. She moves. So chapter two, really the theme is service from a thankful heart Again, we're just going to touch three verses here and then and then we'll save the rest for next week. But we'll see in this chapter, in chapters 2 and 3, we're going to see a glimpse of the life of the poor in Israel, ancient Israel. Naomi and Ruth are now living in Bethlehem with no specific details given to their living conditions. And we'll know simply that they were poor widows and they were making their way through life together. That's how chapter one ends, they're now there. We don't know anything, you know, did they come to, back to Naomi's house? Was it still there? Was it kept for her? Or did somebody take them in and they now had a place to live? All we know is what, what it says. There weren't many ways of making a living opening, open to widows. One such was provided by the custom of gleaning and it was laid down in the law that the harvest time, a man must not reap his land to the very borders, but he was to leave the corners. Nor should he go back and pick up if he dropped a sheath when he was, he needed to leave that so that the poor, the outcasts, those, the stranger in the, in the land could could have a way of providing. And and we'll look more at those verses next week, but to, to, if you're taking notes, Leviticus 19, 9. Um, through 10 and then De- Deuteronomy 24:19 and 21 through 22 uh, are the, the verses. But in this way, there was a provision made for the poor that we don't have today in our culture. They could go in the fields after the reapers and glean what they could. And it was a wonderful way of helping the poor. It commanded the farmers to have a generous heart and it commanded the poor to be active and work for their food a way for them to provide for their own needs with dignity. As I said, we don't have that now. It's one of the things that, uh, that our culture has missed. Obviously, they're very poor and it was good that they arrived during the harvest. And so verse 1 brings on this relative and we're just going to highlight him and then we'll dive into him next week. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So we don't know for sure how he's related to, to Elimelech. Um, in rabbinic trad- tradition, he was the nephew of Elimelech. Uh, so first cousin of Naomi's son, Malon. Um, but no one knows for sure. Uh, the word relative means an acquaintance that they were they were acquainted with. Now, in my side of the family, I have cousins. I'm acquainted with them more than than I know them, um, but I do know them. And if they can, oh, I know, you know, oh, hey, you know, and we're friends on Facebook and that kind of stuff. His name means in him is strength. Now, you might recognize the name Boaz also in. Uh, 1 Kings 7 and 2 Chronicles 3, where it talks about the pillars that Solomon set up in the temple. And they were, there was one on the right, and there was, see, that's your right, and one on the left. Um, and the one on the right was called Jachin, which meant his, he shall establish. That was the right pillar. The left was named Boaz. In him is strength, or it, it is strength. So it's interesting. Boaz was a man of strength in in his qualities, a man of great wealth, it says, is literally a mighty man of valor. And we see that described, used to describe Gideon and Jephthah and some of the other judges. He was a mighty man of valor. They were both called mighty warriors. So you get that picture. in, I don't have it in my notes, but Morris in his commentary commentary says, "Think of a knight. When you think of the medieval times, he's like a knight, and for clearly for Ruth, he was the knight in shining armor for her. Um, various descriptions and you know about how old he was. We don't know. We're not told. He was clearly older, um, but he was a mighty man of valor. He was a capable." pillar in the community so it's no doubt that the pillar was aptly named and he had compassion for the poor and he lived a lifestyle that was exemplary and so when the thing for us to notice is that when Elimelech, Naomi and their whole family had left the promised land and they went to Moab Boaz had stayed behind and God provided for him. God made Boaz a man of great wealth. It underscores the fact that Elimelech and Naomi made a wrong choice to leave the safety and security of the people of God to go into a strange land. The people of Bethlehem had not perished from hunger. They were still there, and they were blessed more than Naomi's family sometimes we can justify wrong choices because of difficult circumstances, but God promises to strengthen us and bless us to make the right choice. So real quickly, Ruth, verse two, the Moabitess says to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Now she's not talking about Boaz specifically. She's talking about somebody who is favorable because there were those that even though the law of Moses was very clear not to glean, there were some that didn't allow. We don't allow poor people here. We get every bit. And if you think of Nabal, when when he's do, doing the gleaning and, and David's in the field and his, and his men go to him and they protect his shepherd, Nabal, the wife of Abigail. No, we're we're not helping you guys. We're not. He, he was a, a very greedy person. And so she's saying, hey, let me, let me go to find the one whom, whose side I might find favor. And so Naomi says, go, my daughter. And she left and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. I love how Naomi, you know, is like, okay, go. Ruth doesn't waste any time. She's not sitting there. Okay, Naomi, what are we going to do? She, she, takes, she takes the initiative Okay, you're, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to provide for you. So, hey, I know that we can go glean. I'm going to go do that. Is it okay? She, she takes the initiative. She doesn't sit back and say, okay, we're going to pray, and God's going to provide. Now, not that that's not a thing to do. If God has called you, to, we, we should pray about everything and be ready and, and seek his face, which I, no doubt they were doing, but be ready Step out in faith. God, it's easier for God to direct a ship that's moving than one that's standing still in port. And if you're sitting tied to the dock, it's going to be much more difficult for God to get you moving because he's looking to you to take that first step. And then he will take the, the next step and he will make your path. He will make your path straight. Proverbs Three, five, and six. We could probably all that we we that's the one that Katie needs to put us for up for us, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths or make straight your paths. And I love what it says in verse three. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, oh, happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. What a strange, great coincidence! Isn't that wonderful? It seemed to her that it was a coincidence. But I can tell you it was not how it actually came to pass. Ruth came to that field because God was guiding her. She put God first and God was providentially leading her to the field which belonged to Boaz. And she didn't know it at the time and and Naomi certainly didn't know it, but Boaz was the one that was going to be the kinsman redeemer. And we'll look at all of that next week. J. Vernon McGee, my last quote, and then we'll close. He says, for Ruth, there was the element of uncertainty, but on the other side, there was the providential dealing of Almighty God. One of the glorious things as we go through this world today is to know that our times are in his hands, to know that he is ordering the events of this universe, and to know that God has said that nothing can come to the child of God without his permission we need only to look at the book of Job to see that Satan had to ask permission from God in order to bring affliction to Job. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, your days, your time, your life is in God's hands. God is in control. If Ruth had just waited around for that spiritual feeling. She might still be waiting, but she took that initiative. So three takeaways. When we take God for our father, we need to take his people for our people too, though they may be poor and despised. You know, we're stuck with one another. You can't say, you know, I love God, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because I don't want to have anything to do with those hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. There is no one that is worthy. There is no one that's right. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we have fellowships that, that are better at encouraging one another than, than others. There are some that are not good. Uh, I call them sheep sheds. This is a good safe sheep shed to encourage one another. And those who would forsake the gathering of the saints and return to the people of Moab or to go to the world, you know, well I do my worship out, you know, in the mountains or by the river or whatever, you know. Sooner or later that communion with God is broken. Sooner or later they find they're not worshiping God. They're embracing the things of the world. Second thing, many have value and affection for Christ yet come short of salvation by him because they can't find it in their hearts to leave the other things, to forsake the world, to forsake the Moab, to forsake the old life. If we resolve that, nothing shall separate us from our duty to Christ. We may be sure that nothing can ever separate us from happiness in him. The things that I gave up to follow Christ at the time were hard, were some some difficult things. But I look back and I just like the Apostle Paul and I say, those things are rubbish for the excellency now that I have in Christ. And so if you're finding yourself with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, jump into the kingdom forsake those things. And the third, and probably what all the songs led up to today, before God can change our circumstances, he wants to change our hearts. If our circumstances change for the better, but we remain the same, then we will become worse. God's purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, but to make us conformable. He's doing a work in you and in me. He's bringing us to that place where we are more like Jesus. He's he's smoothing out the rough spots in our life. And he's fitting us together. God's purpose is to make us conform to be more like Jesus. That that Christ-like character that he wants to see in us, that's the goal. That we would be transformed, as it says in Romans 12 transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may offer our bodies, our lives, as a living sacrifice, just as Ruth did. And we'll see the blessings next week. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, there's just kind of a shotgun of stuff today in our text. So many things, Lord. And you know where everybody's heart is at today, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate and and quicken our hearts to embrace those things, Lord, that you have for us, Lord. Lord, may we leave here changed because we've met with you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Blow away anything that's not of you, Lord, and just glorify yourself. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Let's stand together.